0: to me personally is give me the silent treatment. Well, why is that? Well, because one of the things that I struggle with is people pleasing and I just want people to like me and when they don't talk to me because they're mad at me, well, then they don't like me and it drives me nuts. And then secondly, well, because I struggle with ADHD a lot and I always constantly have to have things going on in my life and if something isn't happening like conversation and I'm still sitting in a room with something someone, And I know that that conversation isn't happening because they're mad at me. Well, it just gets awkward. And it it doesn't help that I'm already in a bad mood because nine times out of ten when the silent treatment comes into effect, it's because we've already had an argument. And so it just compounds itself even more and it just drives me crazy. But believe it or not, and I don't know if you're like me or not, it drives you nuts, but believe it or not, God gave the Israelites the silent treatment. Now back in the Jewish scriptures or the Old Testament, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet that would be his voice among the Israelite people and they would give him they would give his commands to them and they would tell him when they were doing right, they would tell him when they were doing wrong. But the problem with that is is the Israelite people just kind of ignored it. And after a while God finally just said, "Okay, enough." And after the prophet Malachi, God went silent for 400 years. Now, that would drive me crazy. But but 400 and th- 400 years later, God would begin speaking again and it happened on a small scale in a little town called Bethlehem. But then, 30 years later, it happened in an even bigger scale. So, let's pray. Father God, I just pray that our time this morning helps us to learn more about you. We I hope we learn to explore your scripture and to learn what it is that you have in store for us. Father, I just pray that our ears be open to hear, our mouths be open, our, our minds be open to internalize and our hearts and our wills, Lord. And I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. Now, we are going to be continuing through the book of Luke. And the book of Luke is a very good book gospel book because it's a very factual based one and why is that well because it was written by a man named luke now luke was a gentile and he was a physician he was actually a travel buddy of the apostle paul but he sat down to write an account of jesus's life for a man by the name of theophilus which means God lover who was also a Gentile. In fact, Luke actually addresses this letter to him, this gospel letter. If we go back to Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, he just says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, that's not our scripture reading for today. That's just a little bit of background scripture. Our actual scripture reading is going to come to us from Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Aetiria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. now You can tell that Luke is very heavy-handed with his historical data because he just basically went through everybody that had any sort of position of power at that point in time. Now Theophilus probably would have known about some of these, so he now has the timeline in his head. And so that's what Luke is doing. He's basically building the timeline of Jesus Christ so that Theophilus and whoever else reads this account knows what's going on. So continuing on, we're talking about the son the son of Zechariah, John, or as we like to call him John the Baptist. So, continuing on in John chapter 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. God has officially called John the Baptist to become his first prophet in over 400 years. And his job is probably the most important job ever because he is preparing the way for Jesus Christ to hit the scene and to make a change in the world around him. Now, a lot of the other prophets pointed to Jesus, but John is going to be the only prophet to ever have interaction with Jesus Christ himself on earth. And so after 400 years, God has broken his silent treatment with the Israelites with a man named John the Baptist. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. All right. So here's basically what John is saying. He's basically saying it doesn't matter who you are the children of. Now, the Israelites all said that they were the child of abraham abraham was the father of israel remember that god made the covenant with him that he would make his his offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky well that's what john is saying and the problem with that is is the israelites had pretty much come to this false sense of security because they were the called children of god they were all descendants of abraham and so therefore they were special in god's eyes and john is basically saying that doesn't matter because there's a man coming that's going to change all that. It's going. He's going to change the way that we are children of God. We are not going to be children of God through Abraham. We are going to be children of God through God himself. And so that whole lifeline that you have of Abraham thinking that he's going to save you from the coming wrath, well, it's not very true. And then he's also calling out the religious leaders because they were Annas and Caiaphas, we're all descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses, because in the, in the story of the Exodus, the high priests came from that lineage. And so he's also calling those people out as well. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit more. So continuing on, verse 10, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should be the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. All right, two things. John is basically laying the groundwork for Jesus's two commandments of love God and love people. When he's talking about sharing food and and giving clothing to people he's basically saying to love other people around you give what you have to help those in need and secondly i want you to notice something that the only people mentioned here are tax collectors and roman soldiers now those people were the sinners of the sinners in those days they were the worst of the worst because tax collectors would steal from their fellow israelites and the roman soldiers well, they would extort money from people and they would do all kinds of horrific things to the Jewish nation. And so the Jewish people looked at these guys and said, yeah, you're pretty much the worst of the worst. And they're coming to, they're coming to John and they're not just listening to him. They're actually repenting because they're saying, what can we do to be right with God? And John tells them flat out, he tells them bluntly what they need to do. But where are the religious people in all of this? It's, kind of funny that john is literally preaching the word of god and there aren't any religious people around to hear him to back him up to befriend him see what had happened in those 400 years is the political or the religious system had become so corrupt it had basically become this this circus i guess you could say the too much power for the high priests and for the religious leaders They they had pretty much made it like a teeter-totter system where at the very bottom of the teeter-totter you have all those really horrible people like you have your murderers your your prostitutes your tax collectors your roman soldiers and then way up here you had your religious leaders and it was so hard for the people down here to climb up here but it was really easy for the people here to slide down here and right in the middle of that, I forgot to add, right in the middle of all that are the regular people, the, the people that attended the temple. You know, they were all sinners too. They they weren't able to uphold the law, which is why they would have to do a lot of sacrifices. And so you had three different groups, the religious, the the religious observers, and the sinners. And it was easy for anybody to go this way but it was a struggle for them to go back up this way. And what they didn't realize was about to happen was the fact that there was a man named Jesus who was getting ready to come. and He was about to bring it to where it was an evil equal plane. And another problem is that the Roman government had pretty much started meddling into the religious system for the Jewish people. If you notice, there was two high priests, Annas Ananias, and Ananias, Caiaphas and one was appointed by God as the high priest Ananias and then the other one Caiaphas well he was appointed by the Roman government and so these religious leaders had pretty much become so comfortable in the way things were that they didn't want things to change and what John was saying was about to change everything and so they probably kept their distance for a reason now We're going to continue on. Verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with one unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Well, it wouldn't be that far-fetched for them to hear John and to hear the things that he's saying and to immediately assume that he has this coming Messiah that they had been promised for years and years and years. But John says, no, no, no. I'm pointing the way to him. He's coming. He's really, really close. We're going to find out that he is extremely close. But for now... I'm here to prepare the way. And when he gets here, you guys are not going to like it. He's he's ready to to thresh. He's ready to beat everything out of us. He's ready to make a whole new system. And John says, you better be prepared for that. Now, the last two verses tell us what happened to John. But when John rebuked Herod the tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So John's tenure in ministry was very short and he was eventually locked in prison because he took on Herod the Great or Herod the tetrarch who was the brother of Herod the Great or the the grandson of Herod the Great from the Christmas story and That didn't sit well and so he had him thrown in prison now here's a couple of takeaways that we can pull from this little section of scripture you know our reliance isn't on who we are but it's rather who he is and he is jesus christ he being jesus christ you know far too often we look at you know our family line we look at our lineage and we go i'm good i'm good you know um, several years ago I was really full of myself getting into ministry because well my father was a pastor for those of you that don't know my father was a pastor and I thought I could just ride his coattails well unfortunately that doesn't happen we always assume this false sense of security just based on who we are because of our lineage but honestly our res- our reliance shouldn't be on our last name or our bloodline or our DNA it needs to be on who jesus christ is in our lives is he just some guy that you know is he just some guy that you read about is he just some guy that occasionally you listen to a sermon on or or is he the savior of your life that he do you do you follow his teachings do you pull yourself alongside of jesus and who he is do you allow him to control your life and and have and and have 100 sovereignty over your life it doesn't matter you know who your lineage is you know we're going to get to heaven one day and they're not going to ask well whose son are you they're going to ask you know how was your relationship with jesus did you accept him as your lord and savior the second thing that we can take away is that we can allow our relationships especially within the church to get muddy. Now, what I mean by this is look at the look at the the religious people, quote-unquote, religious people of Jesus's day. They had allowed all these different things to muck and mire their their relationship with God. You know, they had allowed the, the, the drunkenness of power to get in the way. They had allowed the Roman government to come in and to start dictating how they were to worship. And honestly, that is happening more and more and more in our own society. I think one of the worst things that as a church we have going on is this social media and I know, I know you're watching this on social media right now as we speak. But see, here's the problem. When we allow that social media to dictate what we believe, when we allow social media to tell us who to believe in, when we allow other people to, to form our opinions, well, we begin to muddy our relationship with God and with Christ because ultimately who we are and what we believe comes from this book, right here. It doesn't come from a social media site. It doesn't come from forums on, the, on websites. It doesn't come from emails. It comes from God's Word. It's an all-inspired Word of God. And that's a big issue that we seem to be having more and more and more in our churches is that we allow all these outside sources to muddy our vantage of the earth and the world and how we do it. And then the last thing is that, unfortunately, as Christians, it's easy for us to forget that we are still in need of a Savior. You know, we we say the sinner's prayer. We invite Jesus to come into our lives. We get baptized. We go to church on Sundays. We sometimes wake up and do our devotions. We sometimes say our prayers before we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and before we go to bed. And then we get into this groove where we're just kind of like, almost on autopilot and we can forget the fact that we need a savior every day to save us from ourselves honestly we are our biggest enemies in life and what i mean by that is we allow ourselves to get in the way of our relationship with christ jesus and it's so easy sometimes to forget the fact that we have to have a savior in our life every single day because every single day we do fall we fumble we fall down and we need help backed up and well it's easy to get that help from other places when in all actuality we need to get it from christ alone you know there's a song that says in christ alone all hope is found and and That is so true. Notice how John didn't allow himself to get taken in by this being called the Messiah. Instead, he said, no, 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 no. I am not, but he's coming. He didn't allow the pride of life to stop himself from pointing to the true Messiah. And that's what we need to remember every day is the fact that we can't, we can't, Get the fact that we need a savior and we have to share the savior with everyone that we come in contact with let's pray Father God we are so glad that your silent treatment ended so long ago and you sent us your son Jesus Christ Father may we point all others to your son Jesus just like John the Baptist did Father, don't let our relationships become muddied with you. And Lord, also help us to remember that our reliance is on you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, we will see you right here Monday morning. Take care. God bless. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Mission 4110 podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's morning moment. You can connect with us further on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Mission 4110. Also, subscribe to our podcast so that you can listen to our newest messages when they release. For Mission 4110, I'm Jacob Mahaffey. Take care and God bless.